want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room with breaking news on the huge and horrific toll from the coronavirus. The number of deaths here in the United States has just crossed 100,000. That is 100,000 men, women, children, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, grandparents. That was the moment last night when the country learned the news. The U.S. has now officially reached that tragic milestone, 100,000 deaths from coronavirus. That is more than the lives lost in the Vietnam War, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Iraq War, and the war in Afghanistan combined. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN correspondent Kristen Holmes, in for David Chalian, and this is The Daily DC. This grim moment is also one of reflection, looking back on how exactly we reached this point and questioning whether many or even some of those lives could have been saved with a better government response. And it's also a time to look forward and to prepare. This isn't over, and no one knows how many lives the pandemic will end up taking. Now, this morning, following a tweet storm of personal grievances, which we had seen really starting over the weekend, President Trump seemed to bow to pressure to acknowledge the milestone, tweeting this morning, quote, We have just reached a very sad milestone with the coronavirus pandemic deaths reaching 100,000. To all of the families and friends of those who have passed, I want to extend my heartfelt sympathy and love for everything that these great people stood for and represent. God be with you. Joining me now to discuss the U.S. reaching this tragic threshold is the voice you heard reporting it to the world, CNN's Wolf Blitzer. Wolf, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Kristen, for inviting me. I want to get to the president in a second, but you have been a presence in Americans' lives and on their TV sets for a long time, from Desert Storm to 9-11 to Osama bin Laden and all the election nights in between. You were on air when the death toll reached 100,000. What was going through your mind then, and what do you think when you reflect on this staggering number? I was very, very sad, like everybody else uh, here in the United States, indeed around the world. 100,000 people here in the United States in less than three months have died from coronavirus. It's a staggering number, and it's, it's a number that I try to underscore all the time by saying it's not just a number. These are real people out there. And you think of your your grandparents, you think of your your mothers, your fathers, your brothers and your sisters. Your, you know, it, it's so awful to even comprehend it. And it's hard to comprehend. That's why uh, we try to put faces on these numbers all the time, every day on our show, The Situation Room, and show who these people are, where they were from. They were living almost all of them wonderful lives, whether they were young, middle-aged, or old, and they just simply within a matter of weeks, you know, saw it all end, and it's so tragic. And what was also going through my mind was the fact that, you know, we're not over this yet. You know, people think, oh, with the 50 states are beginning to open up a little bit, it looks like it's getting over with. This is not over. This is going to continue, including a lot more, tens of thousands more here in the United States are going to die. If you believe the estimates, the models coming up from the University of Washington Medical School, which is what the White House Coronavirus Task Force has been relying on, and they're saying now over the next few months by August 4th, 
early August, that number will go up to about 140,000. Another 40,000. And even then, in August, it's not going to be over. That number is going to increase. And if you listen to all the experts, including Dr. Fauci and others, they're worried that if there's no serious treatment, if there's no real vaccine by the fall, this could combine with the traditional, the regular flu, and we could see a lot more people, unfortunately, getting very, very sick and dying. So this is a struggle that's going to continue for some time, and it's just heartbreaking to me, and I'm sure it is to everyone, when they see uh, you know, the toll that it's taken on these really wonderful people. And these, again, as you said, you know, we look at these increasing numbers, more of these mothers, grandmothers, fathers, grandfathers who are passing or going to pass in the future. Uh, And Wolf, I want to talk to you about one thing here. The virus has been disproportionately infecting communities of color and has impacted lower income people much more than the upper income brackets. What does that say to you? It says that we still have a real problem here in the United States. It's a built-in problem that we got to deal with. Uh, We should have been dealing with it all these years. But lower income people, uh, minorities, African-Americans, Latinos, others, they haven't been getting the health care, the food supplements, everything that they've needed all of these years. And it's, uh, it's beginning to have a huge toll. And that's why there's been such a disproportionate number of minorities who have gotten really, really sick and have died from coronavirus. And it just underscores the much bigger problem we have here as a country that lower income people who didn't necessarily get health care, you know, medical checkups and treatment all these years along the lines that they should have been getting it. There's a real problem here and uh, it's got to be addressed. It's not going to be resolved, you know, very quickly, but it's got to be addressed. And I think the coronavirus pandemic, its impact here in the United States has underscored that. Yeah, and it sounds like there's going to have to be some sort of government response in the future. And I do want to drill down a little bit about the government response in the past that we've seen leading up to this moment, how the president has responded to this pandemic. You know, you heard me read the president's tweet earlier. Do you think the president will be able to rise to the challenge of being the comforter in chief? It's something we've seen him struggle with quite a bit within his presidency. So far, you know, he's wanted to clearly move on. He did, as you point out, tweet that statement earlier today. uh, But, you know, we haven't really seen him go out and do what other presidents have done, try to be that comforter in chief, uh, go to funerals, speak out passionately, emotionally on these issues. You know, he's trying to deal with this assumption that it's going to be over relatively quickly. But as I said, I don't think it's going to be over relatively quickly. It's going to go on. Now, there is a really serious economic crisis. At the same time, there's a public health, a medical crisis here in the United States. And the new numbers, as you know, Kristen, that came out this morning, another 2 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. In 10 weeks, it's now 40 million, more than 40 million Americans have now filed for unemployment. They've lost their jobs. Many of them uh, will get unemployment. Uh, Some of them won't. And there's a whole bunch of others who aren't eligible for unemployment benefits. uh, And that's why you see, and it's so heartbreaking to see it, these long lines of cars, you know, lined up at food banks because people need food. They got to put food on the table. They got to feed their kids. And we're going through a real economic crisis and a real medical crisis at the same time. I understand why the president wants to see the country get back to some semblance of normality, but uh, it's not going to be easy by any means. It's going to be tough. And if this, if this medical issue continues, the economic issue uh, will escalate as well. And we're going to see a lot of pain and suffering. We already are, but we're going to see a lot more in this country. 
Yeah, and even President Trump's own economic advisors last weekend telling Dana Bash that they thought it would be even worse next month and that the unemployment numbers would still be in the double digits come November. So that's some really scary stuff out there in the future. But I also want to talk a little bit about the administration response and those big kind of events that marked the White House in the early days of the pandemic. And they're like, testing failures, touting travel shutdowns, supply chain issues. You know, looking back at some of the president's early comments, it'll disappear like a miracle. Anyone who wants a test can get a test, which of course he looked me in the eye and said at the beginning of March when I went with him to the CDC and we knew then it wasn't true and it wasn't true for months after that. What is your reaction now when you look back at these big events that were at 100,000 deaths? It's so heartbreaking to me to see what has happened. And, you know, it's so painful. Do some comparisons. And I've gone back. Others have done this as well. But I've gone back and taken a look. On March 5th, less than three months ago, on March 5th, there were 11 confirmed deaths here in the United States. 11 confirmed deaths. On March 5th, there were 35 confirmed deaths in South Korea. So there were 35 confirmed deaths in South Korea. There were 11 confirmed deaths here in the United States. Flash forward to today. There are more than 100,000, more than 100,000 confirmed deaths in the United States. And there are less than 300 confirmed deaths in South Korea. Less than 300. Now, South Korea has, what, maybe 55 million people. We have maybe 350 million people here in the United States. So we have a much bigger population. But still, they, they managed to go from March 5th to today from 35 to less than 300. We went from 11 to more than 100,000. And, you know, if you speak to the experts, the medical experts, the public health experts, they say the same thing. South Korea immediately shut down huge chunks of the country. They immediately told everyone to social distance. They had enormous amount of testing that went on right away. They had a more enormous amount of contact tracing underway. They did a lot of isolation, quarantine work right away. They really took decisive action. They immediately closed all their schools. I remember in early March when South Korea and Japan, for that matter, announced they were shutting down schools. I said, really, they're shutting down schools. Uh, and they took a lot of action. And as we now know, there were no treatments, there were no cures, there were no vaccines. But we now know that all that mitigation, that physical mitigation and all the testing and everything else had an enormous impact. And as a result, uh, South Korea, it hasn't suffered in terms of deaths, uh, the way the United States has. And it's just something that I hope all of our leaders will learn from uh, and because this crisis is not going to go away. And there could be other viruses down the road. I hope we all learn from this so that we don't fall into this disaster-type situation again. Yeah, well, speaking of learning from this and reflecting, you know, I want you to take a listen to one of the things that really stuck out to me most that President Trump said during this pandemic when he was asked by a reporter if he takes responsibility for those early failures. Yeah, no, I don't take responsibility at all because we were given a set of circumstances and we were given rules, regulations and specifications from a different time. And we're now in very, very strong shape. Which, of course, we know we are not in very, very strong shape as we are talking about. We've reached that 100,000 death mark. But how will history remember the president's response? I mean, does the buck stop with him? 
Of course, he's the president of the United States, so the buck certainly stops with him. Look, he did several things that were smart. Uh, he put together a White House coronavirus task force that brought in some really uh, excellent uh, people. Dr. Fauci, for example, the leading expert on infectious diseases in the United States. He's the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIH, at the National Institutes of Health. He knows a lot about this. He was brought in right away. Ambassador Deborah Birx, who became the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator. Enormous amount of experience in these issues. Stephen Hahn, the commissioner of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Dr. Robert Redfield, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, these are people that know a lot, and so he brought them in, and they started working right away. Uh, could they have done more with hindsight? Of course. Should they have done more with hindsight? Of course. Could lives have been saved You know, with hindsight? Obviously, lives could have been saved. But uh, you know what? You got to learn from those mistakes to make sure they don't happen again. I give the, the president credit for putting together an excellent coronavirus task force. But, he, you know, he was very, very overly and uh, totally unrealistically optimistic. Uh, all those statements, and we've all heard them so many times, that it's going to go from 15 close to zero and all that kind of stuff. You know, he was way, way too uh, upbeat on all of this. And what's also heartbreaking in early January, mid-January, end of January, there were briefings and they were told, you know, this could be a really serious issue. Now, he did the right thing in shutting down a lot of the travel, not all of the travel, a lot of the travel from China to the United States. Uh, was he disappointed that he wasn't getting reliable information from China? Yes, China did not uh, show the transparency and inform the world of the, the enormous situation immediately as they should have. Did the WHO, the World Health Organization, make some major blunders in the, in the early days? Yes, they certainly did as well. And so, look, all of us are smarter with hindsight, but uh, it's, I think it's fair to say this has turned out with 100,000 so far, and that number is going to continue to grow, 100,000 confirmed deaths in the United States. It's going to be seen, you ask about history, this will be seen as an enormous, an enormous tragedy. And Wolf, what more needs to be done in the media, in government, by everyday Americans? I know you have a tribute on your show nightly uh, to remember the lives that have been lost. I think we have to do that because you hear numbers and it doesn't mean anything. You get, you can almost uh, you know move on. But if you see the faces of these people, you see the stories of these people. Uh, it's so so powerful, uh, and it, you know we all have you know, family, relatives, we all have loved ones. And we just wonder, you know, God forbid, is this going to affect our family? And all, I'm sure a lot of us know people, unfortunately, who have passed away from coronavirus and have come down with really serious ailments from coronavirus. It's it's, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking situation to try to comprehend. And, and, and for those of us who are journalists, you know, we got to just report the news as fairly and as accurately, as responsibly as we possibly can. We got to get the best expertise. Uh, we got to fact check statements made by all the political leaders, not just the president, but there are other political leaders as well. Governors, mayors, members of Congress, senators. Uh, you know, there were a lot of statements made early on, not just by Republicans or Democrats, but across the board that turned out to be wishful thinking. Uh, and, you know, we got to we got to report that kind of stuff and we got to do it in a really responsible way to make sure that our viewers, our readers, our listeners appreciate uh, what's going on. Because, as I say, you know, 
journalism, the news, you know, we're the first draft of history and we have an enormous responsibility and certainly all of us who work at CNN totally, totally appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, I would have preferred that we had a discussion about a happier subject, but this is not a happier subject. Well, next time we will. You promise? I promise. Okay, thank you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people like you find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.